If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, our passage of study this morning is Romans 3, 27 through 31. And if you need a Bible, we invite you to take one from the, the chairs, the pews in front of you. And I believe page 941 will get you to Romans chapter 3. So we, we just finished a, a four-week uh, series on what we call the, the greatest paragraph in the whole Bible, and that was Romans 3, 21 through 26. I'm kind of sad to be leaving this passage after mining it and digging in it so deeply for, for four weeks, but uh, our sadness doesn't have to last too long. These, these themes and these doctrines that we studied in this passage, they'll They'll show up over and over in Romans as we work our way through it. Uh, in fact, Paul is now going to repeat some of these themes in our passage today, verses 27 through 31. And as we read this passage here in a moment, I think you'll notice that Paul is going to uh, revisit a writing style that he employed earlier in the, le- in the letter called diatribe where it's almost like he's having a conversation with someone or try, anticipating uh, some objections that someone might have to his teaching. And so he will give answers to those questions and objections. So here now the, the reading of God's holy word, Romans 3, verses 27 through 31. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray and ask God to bless our study of his word. Pray with me, please. Our Father in heaven, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful and beautiful and perfect truth in your holy word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you go to seminary and you train to be a pastor, you have to take several preaching classes. That makes sense, right? You'd like for your pastor to take classes on preaching. Sometimes those classes are called communications classes. Sometimes they're called homiletics. Sometimes just preaching In one of my preaching classes, I remember how the professor would use this quote over and over as he was teaching us how to be good communicators, how to preach God's word. Uh, This quote, nobody exactly knows where it comes from. Some attribute it to Aristotle, Aristotle, who was a a master intellectual and good at dialect. Uh, But the quote goes something like this. When it comes to preaching in a clear and concise way, Tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. (laughs) 
All right? So tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Well, I think that's exactly what Paul is doing here in this paragraph. He, he knows that he had just written some, some magnificent and, and wonderful truth, some of the most beautiful truths ever proclaimed, and he wants to reiterate, he wants to retell them what, what he already told them, and that's what a good teacher does, right? A, a good teacher is someone who, who revisits and, and retells important concepts in a fresh way. That's what I'm supposed to be doing every single Sunday, right? I'm not, I'm not up here to tell you anything new. If the pastor starts telling you something new, you probably should find a new church. Uh, but to revisit it, to retell those good truths in a, in a fresh way. So let's see how Paul kind of did this. If turn back to Romans chapter 1. I, I want you to kind of see how he employs this master technique here. In Romans 1, verses 16 through 17, we have the the thesis statement, if you will, of the book of Romans. Here's the, the main idea that he's laying out here in this massive letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. So in verses 16 and 17, he told them what he was going to tell them. Here it is. Here's his thesis statement, what he was going to tell them, that, that the gospel is, a, is, a right, is the righteousness of God revealed by faith. And then in verse 18, all the way really through Romans chapter 3, he told them about our righteousness problem, that we are not right before a holy God. And the gospel teaches us, shows us how we can be made right before a holy God by justification through faith in Jesus Christ. And so now, back to our passage of study here, verses 27 through 31, Paul is going to tell them what he told them. He's revisiting this truth. He's going to review what he's been teaching them. And so, today is review for the test, everybody. <laughs> you know, that's what we're going to look at in this paragraph. And so, the main idea that Paul has been communicating to the church in Rome and certainly to the church of all ages is this truth. Justification is by faith in Christ alone. Justification is by faith in Christ alone. In other words, God saves us. He makes us right with himself because of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. This, these truths that have been taught to us here in in Romans, they are the same truths that the reformers called the doctrines of grace. It was Martin Luther himself that was studying and teaching uh, this passage or these, these, these words, teaching through Romans in the monastery that his heart became, began to change. His heart truly was reformed and God's grace and his mercy was, was opened wide to him, and he saw God's love in a fresh way. And so this is why the reformers had these, these tenets. They had these, these summaries of these truths called the five solas of the Reformation. Solas being the alones or the onlys. And so that's why they taught that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and it's all for the glory of God alone. And it's in the scripture alone that we find this truth laid out for us. And so that's what Paul is reiterating here in this passage. And so after he had just 
finished teaching and, and preaching and proclaiming that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, he anticipates that there were going to be some objections to this teaching. He anticipates that the people are going to have some questions. And so that's why he goes back into this form of writing called diatribe. So he anticipates these objections and these questions, and he seeks to answer them. So let's look at the three of them that he anticipates here, the three, three questions. The first is, there in verses 27 through 28, what about boasting? What about boasting? Paul, you keep talking about this grace stuff. What about our boasting? Where can we boast? Well, it's our human nature, right, that we want for, to look for something for which we can take credit. Uh, if, if anything good happens to us, we want to feel proud of our accomplishments. This is, this is very natural. But sometimes we can take that too far, right? We can take credit for things in such a way that we start boasting too much. We, we become annoying, right? <laughs> you know these people. There's not much, wor- there's not much worse than someone who brags, right? <laughs> I've never heard anybody say, you know, I really love being around that person because of their bragging uh, personalities, <laughs> right? None of us feel that way. Well, Paul agrees because when it comes to our salvation, there's no room to brag. There's nothing that we can brag in or boast about. Boasting and bragging has no place in the Christian life because the doctrine of justification by faith teaches us that it is what God has done and not what we have done. It's God's work and, and not our work which, by which we receive all these spiritual blessings by faith alone. Now this would have been highly offensive to the Jews. They were very proud of their Jewishness. Very, very proud. Very boastful. Paul, we've got circumcision. Paul, we've got the law. Paul, we've got tall pointy hats and nice robes. What do you mean we can't boast? But the Apostle Paul was crystal clear. There's no room for self-congratulation, no room for self-glorification in the gospel. And ultimately, he says, this is because we are now under a new law. He calls it the law of faith. No longer under the law of works. We're under the law of faith. Now, Paul uses this word law in a bunch of different ways in his letter to the church in Rome. Sometimes he uses that word law for a shorthand to refer to the Ten Commandments, right? The commandments that we're all familiar with. Sometimes he uses that word law to refer to the the law of Moses or the book of Moses, the the Pentateuch, the first five books of, of the Bible, But then other times he uses this word law to describe a a principle or a force or an indelible rule. You might think of it like being the, like a law of nature, like gravity, right? It's this third use, this, this law being a principle that Paul is using here when he talks about the law of faith. We're no longer under the law of works. We're under the law of faith in Christ. We are justified by faith apart from works of the law. You you cannot earn your salvation. This is so hard to believe for many. It's hard to accept. 
Because everything in us, our, our natural selves, we, we want to earn favor. We want to brag. We want to accomplish something. We want to we make others proud of us. But when it comes to our salvation, there's no boasting. There's no bragging. There's no winning. There's just faith. The law of faith. So this truth has huge implications for us in the Christian life. And it can be summed up, I think, in one word. And that word is humility. Humility. Justification by faith should humble us. It should humble us because it teaches us this truth that we've sung before. Nothing in our hands we bring Simply to the cross we cling. I think this is best illustrated by a story that Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke. Maybe you've heard this story or read this story before in Luke chapter 18. It's a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector who went to the temple to pray. Now the Pharisees loved to boast. They loved it. They were really annoying they were very proud of their religion, very proud of their good works. And this Pharisee in Jesus' story, he was so full of himself, he even bragged about his prayer life. Beware of the person who brags about their prayer life. <laughs> and it was so proud, he said, Lord, thank you, in his prayer, he said this, Lord, thank you that I'm not like the tax collector. <laughs> and I'm a good person. You know, we all know about tax collectors. They still don't necessarily have a good reputation in our day. Sorry if you're a tax collector. Um, but what about the tax collectors? So we, got the, we got the Pharisee boasting, bragging, full of himself. And now we have the tax collector who knew his standing before men and before God. And what did Jesus say about this man as he went to the temple to pray? He said he could not even look up couldn't even look up. He would just keep his head down and he beat his breast and he displayed humility that justif justification by faith teaches us. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so Jesus wrapped up the teaching here in this parable when he said, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So praise God for the cross that teaches us humility, that teaches us that we have no boasts before the Lord. We have nothing that we can bring to earn God's favor. It's not what we have done, it is what God has done for us in Christ. It is the law of faith that now reigns. And I think it's this understanding of the gospel that brings about a humility that we so need. It's so attractive, right? We all admit, who wants to be around the boastful, the bragging? But the humble, they're pretty fun to hang out with, aren't they? There are a lot for us to learn from. 
especially those who understand that we've been saved from so much, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. So that's the first objection that Paul addresses here. Let's look at the second one. The second question, verses 29 through 30. What about favoritism? What about favoritism? Look at the, the, the question is asked here in verse 29. Uh, is, is God the, the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Because justification is by faith, God shows no favorites. There's one God and one God only, and he is the God over all, both Jews and Gentiles. So when the Bible uses this expression, Jews and Gentiles, it's talking about everybody. An expression that means the whole world. Those who were the people of God, the Jewish nation, and those who weren't. That was the Gentiles. And so the Jews had to be thinking in response to Paul's teaching, Paul, surely you don't mean the Gentiles are just as special as we are. We're the children of Abraham. Doesn't that make us special and privileged, Paul? Well, Paul's going to spend a whole chapter next week, all of chapter 4, reminding them that before God chose Abraham, he was a pagan. Abraham was a pagan. He was worshiping idols. There was nothing special about him except for he was a wandering pagan. He was not worshiping God. God did not look down and go, man, what faith. Wow, that guy goes to church every Sunday. Let's choose him. (laughs) That's not what happened at all. And yet God had mercy on him. God is one. And it does not matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, Baptist or Presbyterian, man or woman, child or adult. It's by faith alone and Christ alone that we are saved. God shows no partiality. This is an amazing truth that gets lost on us, especially, I think, here in America. There's some, contrary to popular belief, Christianity did not start in the United States of America. In the, in the good old USA, as much as this country, as great as this country is, as much as we enjoy freedom of religion and so many other things here we are not god's special chosen nation sorry just go read a history book and you'll see about the other special chosen nations (laughs) christianity began in the middle east in a place on the other side of the globe from us. As a matter of fact, it began in a, in a region where the gospel began to spread in an area that was smaller than the state of Alabama. So we definitely don't have anything to brag about. We are the Gentiles. We are the nations. And this is what makes Christianity so attractive. This is what makes Christianity so inclusive. We can use that hot word. We mean that in the biblical sense of the word, right? Because it's for everybody who believes. Christ came to save the world. That is, whoever believes in him by faith. And this truth has huge implications, again, for the Christian life. Because justification by faith is one of the greatest unifiers that there is. 
Because we're all one in Christ. Not only do we have a lot in common when we both claim to be Christians, but we actually are related. (laughs) We're brother and sister. We're family together. That's what union in Christ does. And so because of this, discrimination, racism, hate of all kinds, bigotry, they have no place in the church for those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. And let's just be crystal clear. You don't have to go post it on your social media. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has been denouncing these things for over 2,000 years. All forms of evil. There is no favoritism in the kingdom of God, for we're all one in Christ. I really do believe, brothers and sisters, that the gospel is the great unifier that our world needs right now because there's no discrimination in the gospel. For those who believe and are justified by faith, there is no discrimination. That is a great truth that we see here in the scripture that God is one God and the God over all of his people. Let's look at the third question, objection there. What about the place of the law in the Christian life? Look there in verse 31. Paul anticipates those who say, do we just overthrow the law by this faith? Do we simply just throw out the law and say it doesn't matter? Paul, are you saying that God's law is worthless? To this, Paul says, by no means. By no means, the the law is good. We uphold the law. But the law has its proper place in the Christian life. So how can Paul say that the law is good and yet it doesn't save us, that it doesn't have a special place? It's because of those three wonderful uses of the law that we've talked about several times before. Let me just mention those again. And, and the, the uses of the law, I think, is best understood, these three metaphors. The law is a mirror, the law is a, is a curb, and the law is a map. The law is a mirror in that it reflects the perfect righteousness of God, right? And it shows us our sinfulness. The law is a curb in that it restrains evil in the world, restrains evil in our hearts. And then the law is a map, It shows us how to live the Christian life in a fallen world. But furthermore, the law is good because Christ perfectly fulfilled the law for us. He obeyed every jot and tittle. He said, I did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. And he was the only one who has ever done that and ever will perfectly fulfill the law on our behalf in his perfect righteousness has been transferred to us by faith. And so again, this has major implications in the Christian life. Justification by faith alone upholds the law of God. It values God's word. It doesn't just throw it away and say it doesn't have any purpose anymore. And that's why this false teaching called antinomianism must be rooted out in the the church. Maybe you've heard that word before. Maybe you haven't. Antinomianism. It's Anti-law, it means those who would say that since we've been saved by grace, the, the law doesn't matter, our obedience doesn't matter, we just have grace and it's all good. 
That's not what the Bible teaches. To that idea, look at what Paul says there in in verse 31. He says, by no means. So the the New Southern translation would say, that's hogwash. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about here. That's why James would teach in his letter that faith without works is a dead faith. We don't earn our salvation by works, but yet works, keeping the law, it's in response to what God has done. We're not saved by our works of the law. Rather, we uphold the law because of our salvation. Some of you, I know, like to read devotionally Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrase. Not a translation, it's a paraphrase. And he paraphrases it well. He says, God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. We respond in faith and good works and upholding the law. I love the way John Stott summarizes this whole section. How are we to apply this truth of justification by faith to our lives? He simply says it this way. No boasting. No discrimination, no antinomianism. Any questions? You know, that's the summary right there. So how do we get our heads around everything that Paul's been teaching in these these passages here in Romans? Keeps using all those big words, right? Justification, sanctification, adoption, redemption, propitiation. How, How do all these things fit together? How do we summarize it? Let me attempt to do that for you. Perhaps you could just hold on to this one sentence and think about it. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are saved by the free and unmerited favor of God, and we receive this grace by faith, that is trust and belief in what God has done for us through Christ. Our trust and belief is is not in ourselves. It is not in our good works, but in Christ alone. And so let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we praise you for the gospel of grace. We praise you that before the foundation of the world, you chose us in Christ and adopted us for yourself. We praise you that in Christ we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our sins. We praise you for the riches of your grace that you have lavished on us in Christ. Father, teach us humility by the by the cross, by what you have done. And Father, we pray you would unite us all under the cross. We thank you that we are all one in Christ. Father, we pray that you would lead us. Lead us, O King Eternal. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.